time to rethink. I hope that you're ready. Um, it's going to be, I think, a wild ride. Rethinking life. Rethinking Thanksgiving. Rethinking Christmas. Uh, rethinking the new year. And, and if, there is, if, if there's a more uh, descriptive, encouraging book of the Bible, I don't know what it is. It's the book of Philippians. And, uh, you know, we need a shot of encouragement and joy and happiness, don't we? Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. You know, we went to a conference this weekend, uh, Pastor Michael and Caleb, Pastor Caleb and I, and, and uh, somebody asked me, so how long you been at North Hills? And it, it always amazes me when I have to answer that question. I, I just have to stop and think, 24 years. I've, I've been at North Hills 24 years, half my life, um, almost less than half this month, but half my life I've been here at North Hills, and I must say it's been a colorful 24 years. There's been a lot happen in 24 years. And, and, but, but the last 24 years of my life haven't been near as colorful as the beginning of the church of Philippi, which we're going to be looking at today. Um, it, it was started by the Apostle Paul, and before we jump into Philippians, maybe you've already turned there, right in your notes, Acts chapter 16, and maybe you could even flip there, but we're not going to go through Acts chapter 16 verse by verse, but I want to give you sort of the background of how the church in Philippi started. You see, in Acts chapter 16, we've got the Apostle Paul, he's going from church to church in, in the Middle East, he's training leaders, he's encouraging them, he's helping people, then he gets this prompting from God, he gets this, this word from the Lord that said, hey, hey, uh, Paul, I want you to forget everything that you have planned right now, I want you to drop it all, and I want you to get on a ship, and I want you to go to Philippi. And so Paul, in response to this prompting of the Lord, does just that. He goes down to, to the beach, gets on a ship, and, and heads off to Philippi. Now, just a quick note here. Uh, when you get a prompting from the Lord, and you've discerned that this is a message from God, and he wants me to do something, it's good to do it. It's good to respond faithfully and obediently to that prompting, um, no matter what that is. But this is what Paul does. He gets on, and he, he makes his way to Philippi, which is in modern-day Greece. And once he gets there, he doesn't really, it was kind of one of those Abraham, Abrahamic messages, right? I want you to go to Philippi, and that's all he got. So he goes to Philippi, and then he's like, okay, now what? And he's, he's waiting for another prompting of the Lord. So, so you know, he's, he's visiting with people, he's wandering around town, he's waiting for the next prompting, and in Acts chapter 16, verse 13, it says that he sits down by a river's edge. You know, he's just kind of hanging out, uh, waiting for the Lord. And then in, in verse 13 and 14, um, this woman by the name of Lydia wanders by. She's a businesswoman in Philippi, and uh, she's strolling down by the river, and she strikes up this conversation with Paul. And as most conversations with Paul go, as we saw last week in the sermon, Paul was a Christ-intoxicated man. Paul was Christ-centered. Every conversation I bet Paul had always turned about to Jesus Christ, this incredible God, man, who changed his life completely. And that happens in the life of Lydia. In fact, in a few hours, she understands that God loves her, that Jesus Christ died and rose again for her sin, and she becomes a follower of Christ, right there at the beach. And right after that, in verse 15, she gets baptized, and apparently she was a wealthy woman because she had this large house, and she invites Paul and his ministry team, the people that he took with him, over to, to stay at her house. And so they end up at Lydia's house. 
I mean, she did like this bed and breakfast for them, right? I mean, come on over, I'll, I'll, I'll feed you and that sort of thing. Now, Bible scholars believe that this woman's house became the first meeting place of the Church of Philippi. So on this first day in Philippi, Paul has his first church member. It's Lydia. He has a place for the team to stay and a gathering place for his new church. I mean, he's just hanging out waiting for a prompting from God, right? But he's taking advantage of what's being put before him. That's a pretty good day for the first day in church work, I would say, there in Philippi for the Apostle Paul. But it goes south after that. I mean, Paul continues to... to, I don't want to say wander, but he's walking downtown one day uh, shortly after this, and he heals this woman who desperately needed healed. I mean, she has had this demonic control of her life for a long time, and Paul had heard her crying before, and he miraculously heals her. And the owners of this young woman who were using her to tell the future for people and make money got pretty upset over this. And they turned Paul in. They, they, they went and they had him actually, Paul and Silas. Wow, what if this flies this year, right? Did you see that? He flew away, I took my glasses off, I put them on, he flew right back. So Paul heals this woman. And, and uh, Paul and Silas are then immediately arrested, beaten, and thrown in prison. Church work doesn't always go well, right? He's experiencing that right now. And then late that night, Paul and Silas, who are in chains, they're in stocks. The, uh, the uh, prison uh, guy was told, don't let him get away, right? I mean, his, his job and his life probably depend on this. So he puts him in the middle, he, he puts stocks on him, and... Uh, about midnight, I think, probably, they decide, hey, let's do some worshiping. So they start singing hymns. They start singing worship songs. And as they're singing these, in verse 26, it says that suddenly an earthquake shakes the area. I mean, I saw one comment from one person on Facebook this morning that said that's the the worst earthquake they'd ever felt in their life. That's what these guys experience here. And all of the prison doors fly open, and all of the shackles fall off of the prisoners. And, and I wonder if it wasn't another prompting from God. They stay in their cell. They have a chance to, to bolt. They could get away. But they don't. They, they stay sitting there. And, and the, the jailer, uh, this passage says, is preparing to kill himself because he knows that, that they've probably escaped and that when they find out, when, the, when his bosses find out in the morning that they're gone, they're going to hang him anyway, so he just as well end his life. And, and it was at that moment in time, Paul says, hey, no, don't do that. We're still here. I mean, he's amazed, surprised. He wonders, and he asks them, why, why would you guys stay in this cell so that, so that I don't get hung in the morning? I mean, why would you care about me? And of course, what does Paul talk about? It's not me that cares about you. It's Jesus Christ that cares about you. And, and what happens? He becomes the second member of the church in Philippi. He surrenders his life to Jesus Christ right there. And they go home. Um, they're, they're released, it says. Um, and they go back to the house of the wealthy woman and they teach and they encourage. And, and also this jailer and his family come to Christ. They're all baptized. 
And the church just starts to grow and get stronger. They appoint leaders. Then the Spirit prompts Paul and Silas to leave, to move on to another city. So they say goodbye to the church at Philippi, and they move on to the next town. But Paul never forgets his experience in Philippi. He never forgets the promptings that changed his travel plans to go to Philippi. He never forgets the conversion of Lydia or the earthquake or the jailer's conversion. And many years later, some say about 10 years later, from another prison cell, and many believe that was in Rome, Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi. I mean, he's arrested again. Why? Because he's proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ as Messiah. He ends up in prison in Rome, a cold cell, Shackles again, different cellmate this time. It's Paul and Timothy this time. And what does he do? He writes to the church in, from a prison cell in Rome to thank them. To thank them. To thank them for their financial gifts that they've given him. He's, he's thanking them for their prayers, for their support to him, for the ministry, for their love, all those things. I mean, it's a very personal book in the Bible, as you will find as you read through it. And we're going to be looking at this for the next eight weeks. And, and, and these are things that we need today, aren't we? Um, aren't they? We, we, need, we need financial support. We need prayers. We need love. You know people that need these things. Invite them to come. Invite them to come join us. So in the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be reading here in just a couple moments, gives us four things about his relationship with the people in Philippi. And he gives us four statements. Uh, Let's read those 11 verses. Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people, In Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I love you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you will be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Four things Paul identifies. Four relational habits, if you will, that, that, that help us to have healthy relationships with other people. They're easy to explain. They're easy to understand. When you hear them, you'll go, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, I knew that. But they are so hard to live out. So let's rethink four of our relational habits this morning. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts and minds. So the first thing that Paul says, it's in your notes, focus on the good in people. That's what 
That's what Paul does. He's remembering the good things. He's focusing on the good things. The positive experiences. I mean, what do you remember about people? When you have an interaction with someone, what are those things that you remember the most? Sometimes they're the negative things. They're the things that we talk to other people about, right? Oh, man, I had this interaction with so-and-so. Do you know what he said? Right? I thank my God, verse 3, every time I remember you. Now, I want to remind us of a piece of theological truth. John Ortberg has, has mentioned this. He writes about it. It's very brief. I've said it before. But this is something that we have to understand as we focus on the good in people. I could say it in, I, I could say it in two words. This is, this is the two, word, two words. Everybody's weird. Right? You've heard me say that before. Everybody is weird. We all have quirks. We all have brokenness. We did an entire series on being broken together, being honest with each other and saying, you know what, I'm not perfect, I know that. And I'm not going to expect you to be perfect. In fact, when you do something that just drives me crazy, I'm going to rethink that and I'm going to think the positive things about you. You know, we all have blind spots that people don't know about. Patterns that we want to keep secret. But you see, everybody has fear. Everybody has pride. Everybody has junk that has not been transformed yet. And we're on a journey of transformation as we submit to our Savior. And so are they. So are they. I mean, have you, have you criticized any of the, any of the uh, groups of people in our nation in the last couple of days? Have you thought badly of them? Have you prayed for them? Have you prayed honestly and sincerely that they would experience the love of Jesus Christ and that they would honestly and seriously grow up some? And, and, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in a really positive way. That, that, that the Spirit of God would transform the people in our country because that's the only way it's going to happen. That's the only way it's going to happen. Have you ever heard someone say, he's a good man, but... You know, as soon as somebody says that, when they say the but, you need to stop them and say, stop right there. I don't want to hear the rest. I don't want to hear it. Got something good to say, right? If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. Your mother said that to you over and over and over and over again. Paul is telling us that this morning. Let's see the good in people because everyone has something that's good. And, and, and remember, the best and forget the rest. Now, I'm not saying to deny that hurts occur. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying ignore those things. That's, in fact, that's psychologically unhealthy. And, and remember, in Acts chapter 16, Paul didn't have an easy time in Philippi. In Philippi. He was arrested, he was beaten, he was jailed, he was thrown in prison. It was not really, physically, humanly speaking, a good time. And he could have dwelt on the negative, but Paul instead says, I thank God every time I remember you. Paul focused on the people's loyalty. Look at verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, you've helped me. You've helped me. Thank you. You've been loyal to me. And if we want to enjoy others, honestly, we need to 
rethink and focus on the good. Their strengths, not their weaknesses. Now, with some people, I realize it takes a lot of creativity to do that. But we can find something good in everybody. Next, the second thing Paul says is to practice positive praying. I I love this part. Paul practiced positive praying. Does it not encourage you when somebody says, hey, I'm praying for you? I mean, they they really say that? They they call you on the phone or they send you a note and said, hey, I prayed for you today. And and you know, I mean, I really appreciate it when people say that. It encourages me. Paul in verse 4 says, in all my prayers for all of you. Now, notice the rest of the verse. When he's praying, he says this, I always pray with joy. Now, do you think America is a praying nation? Think about that. Do you think America is a praying nation? Um, our prayer team has been encouraging us to pray. The prayer board reminds us as we walk by. I, want, I wonder, you know, they took everything off of it one week, and I wonder if you even noticed that it was blank. I did. It's like, whoa, what happened here? But I have a feeling that before that, I sort of got used to it being there, and I just walked past it all the time, and I didn't stop to pray. Before the election, everyone focused more on prayer. Have you continued to pray for our country? If it went the way you wanted it to, did you just praise the Lord and say, yay, my candidate went one, and then stop? No, we got to continue. We got to continue to pray. Well, here's what the pollsters say. Here's what um, uh, the answer is yes, America is a praying nation, according to research. Okay, listen to these statistics. 60% of the people in America say they pray every day. And 78% say that they pray at least once a week. Okay, only 1% of Americans Americans say that they never pray. Interesting. And according to a Gallup poll cited in Newsweek, more Americans will pray this week than will work out, drive a car, or clock in on the job. And of the 13% of Americans that claim to be atheists or agnostic, one in five say they pray daily. Right? I mean, who do they, how do they, who are they talking to? Is it like, to whom it may concern? (laughs) Right? I mean, so I think to say America is a praying nation, America says it's a praying nation. But are we really? Are we really? And we pray in all sorts of circumstances, don't we? We we pray because we're grateful. We pray because we're scared. We pray because we feel helpless. Some of our college students pray for answers on a test. We pray for forgiveness. We pray for the Cowboys to get some defense. Seriously, have you ever had one of those conversations with the Lord? I have. Right or wrong, I have. We pray for forgiveness, for strength, for peace, for assurance that we're not alone. You hit some unexpected turbulence in an airplane, you pray for the pilot. We pray for a deal to go through at work. We pray for the test results that are coming back from a lab. We pray for our mom, for our dad, for our son, for our daughter, for our brothers and our sisters to be healed. We And when you say to somebody, I'll pray for you, what do you pray? What do you pray? I mean, is it just a God bless them for what they're doing for the day? Or do you pray specifically? Because because I think 
when we spell things out specifically, I think God answers us specifically. Paul spells it out very specifically. Look at verses 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, he says, that your love may abound. If you underline things in your Bible, underline love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Very specific. Four things that Paul prayed for, for the Philippians, that we too can pray. He prayed that they would grow in love, that love may abound. I mean, love is meant to overflow, like a tidal wave, to, to, to flow over us. We pray that for, for one another. Pray that they make wise choices. If you have children, I know that you've prayed this prayer specifically over and over and over and over again. That they would discern what is best. That they would be wise. That they would, number three, pray that they will do the right thing. It's one thing to know what's right. It's another thing to do that thing that's right. That they would be pure and blameless, doing the right thing. Pray, number four, that they will become like Jesus. That they would live for the glory of God. Now, you can pray all four of these things every day and never have to add at the end, May the Lord's will be done. Because those things are his will. We don't have to add a tagline to that. They're in the Bible. It can be your prayer list for your kids, for your, for your friends, for your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, your coworker, your boss. You can pray these for me. Anybody you care about. Pray specifically. So let's focus on the good in people. Let's practice positive praying. And the third habit, Paul says in the next verse, let's be patient with people, with people's progress. Paul looked at people's future and not just at their past. He saw the potential in people. When we see somebody make a bad decision, our first, sometimes our first re- response and reaction is to be judgmental about that. But, but we should take a step back and recognize that, that, that they're growing and they're in process too. And is there possibly a way that God could use us in their life to help them grow, to find encouragement, to to find some joy in the midst of what they're experiencing. Look at verse 6. Being confident, confident of this, Paul says, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, Paul is saying, what God starts, he's finished. he finishes. What God starts, he finishes. He is a finisher, not a quitter. You know, we quit stuff, right? We quit stuff. How many of you know of players that have quit on a team because it got too tough and they just didn't think they could push on anymore? How many of you know of a husband who started a project and never finished it? Guilty. How many of you know of a husband who at some point quit on his wife? Or a wife who quit... On her husband. How many of you know who maybe know parents who have essentially disowned their children? They've they've kind of said, you know what, I, I don't care about you anymore. There are kids who quit on their parents. They do the blame game and they quit on them. How, how many of you know friends who started a relationship with another friend and then they quit on them? 
I mean, it's happening more and more and more these days, I think. God doesn't quit. He is a finisher. And when he starts a work and a good work in your life and in mine, he will take it to completion. Paul reminds us of that this morning. You see, God started the world. God started human life. And Paul is reminding the church at Philippi and us here this morning. He says, he who began a good work in you. Paul's reminding them, it wasn't me. I was like the tool in the hand of God to be here when he called me to come and have these conversations. God is the one that started the church in Philippi, not Paul. God is the one who started this church. Not those, just those who met in the Bible study at the very beginning and then, and then and Pastor Dick stepped in and, and became the pastor. It, no, no, God did. And because God doesn't quit, he's going to sustain this church to the end, whenever that is. People might quit on God, but God will never, ever quit on people. And that applies to this church. Sure, some North Hills people will quit on God. Unfortunately, that's true. People will come and go. Leaders will come and go. Staff, as we've seen, will come and go. Senior pastors come and go. But because God gave birth to this church, he who began it will complete it. And God won't quit on you either. The Bible says when Jesus Christ starts working in your life, he will complete what he started. So if you're frustrated with where you're at spiritually, hang tight. Because he will finish it. He will complete it. In spite of the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups and the faults and the bad decisions and the sin, in spite of any circumstance that you or I could ever face, Jesus is going to finish what he started. And we're going to make it. And this includes those who are struggling today. Maybe you're here today and you just feel like a failure. And it was all you could do to get out of bed this morning and set foot in the doors to come into this room. I don't know. I mean, we all struggle. And we've got to remember that as broken people, we're in process. That person sitting next to you is in process. That person sitting behind you is in process. And the amazing thing is that, I mean, this verse, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a gift. What a Savior. What love, what grace, what mercy. God will finish what he has started. He's patient. Just right here this morning, if you're struggling with that and and you're, you're feeling guilty, surrender it to Jesus. Repent of whatever it is. Give it to him. You have an opportunity to rethink yourself. Let him help you. Listen to Jesus, not the world. Remember, God is not finished with people. God is not finished with that person that you're losing your patience with. Think positively, find some strengths, and pray in a positive way for them. So Paul chose to ignore the bad things that happened. 
and focus on the good. He practiced positive praying. Then he reminds us to be patient with people because life is a journey and we're all at different places on that journey. I mean, who would expect their six-year-old to know algebra? No one, because we know that math is a process. Some of us, the synapses still have not connected. Right? It's still a struggle, but, but it's a process. And the fourth habit that Paul mentions is this, to love from the heart. Uh, look at verse 7. It, it is right for me, Paul says, to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. You know, the, the reason that so many relationships crumble is because, honestly, and, and I've wrestled with this, we think too much with our head and not enough with our heart. We think too black and white and we're not willing to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to support you through this. No matter what my head says, I'm going to love you with my heart. When someone says, I feel depressed, listen to them. Don't look at them and say, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Husbands, if your wife ever says something like that, that's our first response. Our first response is to figure out how we can get them not to feel that way, right? Or to minimize it. Say, well, it's not that big a deal. Well, in doing that, you just made it an even bigger deal. Because it's their feelings. Um, maybe you're making a family decision and someone says, I don't feel this is the right thing we ought to do. We ought to do it this other way. Listen to them with your heart. I'm not saying that, that you just throw caution to the wind and follow the heart. You know that, that, that I, that's not true. Our hearts can be deceiving. But sometimes, and, I, and I'm, I'm completely guilty of this, we spend all of our time in the head and none of it in the heart. And we rationalize things away, we rationalize pain away, and yet it exists in our heart and festers and festers, and we wonder why sometimes we think or say the things that we do, because we haven't actually turned our heart over to be healed by the Holy Spirit. God, verse 8, can testify how I long for all of you, Paul says, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Circle that word affection, because this, this was an interesting study for me. In Greek, the word affection is the word for intestines. Yeah, I always sort of looked at it that way. In fact, um, the King James translates this as bowels. Look it up in the King James. It says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the bowels of Christ Jesus. What does that even mean? So thankful for the NIV. I mean, it, it's helpful. But the Greeks thought that the center or the seat of the emotions was in the stomach. Have you ever said this? I just feel it in my gut. Right? Leroy Jethro Gibbs should have come to your mind. I just have this gut feeling. I, sometimes that is the emotion that we're feeling. Don't just throw it away because your head says, well, yeah. give, it, give it a little bit of time. 1 John 3.16 says this. Did, did I have us put this up? 
1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Great verse, right? What is, what is the reference, 1 John 3.16? Does that remind you of another verse? Right? John 3.16? Right? Um, written by the same guy? Um, it, you know what the problem is today? The, the problem, I think, today is that we know John 3.16 by heart, and then we ignore 1 John 3.16. It's like, praise Jesus, I'm saved! And we don't allow God to take that love that he's pouring into us and pour into other people so that they might experience it too. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is the, that, that's our salvation. That's the way of salvation. Through Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. We have purpose in life and a home in the next. God says, I sent my Son for this very thing. That's how much I love you. And we're all grateful for that. But we want to ignore 1 John 3.16 that says, and this is real love. And we must, what? Do the same for others. If we would do that, we would have less relational problems. We, because we wouldn't be thinking about ourselves. We'd be thinking about other people. When Paul begins this great book about joy, he starts off talking about people, encouraging us to rethink our relationships. And there is joy in relationships. If, if, if you don't have joy in the relationships that you have, I pray that, that as we begin the book of Philippians, that, that you will be transformed as you rethink those. And as the worship team comes up and we close this morning, take out that, that tear-off card. I want you to look at the My Next Steps. And at the bottom of your notes, it's on there as well. Maybe you would fill it out at the bottom of your notes so that you can take it home and that you would check something in the My Next Steps and put it in the offering plate as we take the offering during this last song. And ushers, if we could give just you know a minute or two in the song for people to, to think and sing and maybe mark on their, their connect cards so that they can actually put them in the, in the offering plate. I want, I want to ask you these four questions. The, number one is this. Who could you focus on the good with? Who could you focus on the good with? Strengths, positive things. Write an encouraging note. Buy them flowers. Take them out to dinner. Give a kind word. I want you to write their name in there. Who? Who comes to mind? Who does, who does the Holy Spirit say to you this morning, I want you to focus on the good with this person? Number two is this. Who can you be praying for every day? Are you praying for your kids, your husband, your wife, your friends, for me, for others, for, for acquaintances or friends to come to Christ? Do you, do you pray that they'll be filled with love and make wise decisions, that they'll do the right things and that they'll live for the glory of God? Pray positively for them. Number three, who can you be patient with? I know half of you, a name just came into your head. Somebody at work, maybe it's a kid, maybe it's your spouse. Who can you be patient with and their progress? You look at how far they have to go, you looked at how far they have to go, and you forgot to look at how far they've already come. Who can you be patient with? And number four is this, who can you start loving from the heart, not the head?
That's the lesson from Paul's relationships with the Philippians. And I hope this causes us to to rethink relationships this week. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing this closing song as we focus and we worship on our relationship with, with God and we go off into the world and as we become a hand and a tool in the hand of God to our friends and our family. Father, I pray that, yes, I, I pray that there's conviction. I pray that every, I pray that every week, Father. And I pray also that we would, we would leave here with, honestly, a, a skip in our step, that, that, that we would see that that Paul is being positive here. And I pray that, that, that we would be encouraged as we begin this book of Philippians and we look at how much you love us and help us to think positively and, and, and to be patient with those in, in our lives that, that maybe we're, we're less patient with. And Father, I pray that you would use this church family, this body of Christ, to proclaim the good news of the gospel in Goshen County so that people people, they're just drawn to it. Because we love like we've been loved. We encourage like we've been encouraged and we have patience like you've been patient. Oh, Father, we lift our voices up to you. In the middle of this song, we want to worship you as we give of our tithes and our offerings. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this day that you have made. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand with us as we end our service of singing, Forever God is Faithful.